I am thrilled at today's guest. She's a good friend. Uh, she is an important, important voice um, for women. She's an important, important voice for politics. She is Mika Brzezinski. She's the founder of the Know Your Value Movement. She, of course, co-host of Morning Joe, host of the Mika Straight Up Podcast, best-selling author of six books. I didn't realize that. Six books. Wow. Um, and she's just somebody who I, I'm incredibly, incredibly fond of. Thanks for being here, my friend. It is great to be here. I feel like I just saw you. Yes, we just about an hour ago finished a Bread Up, Bread Down segment on Morning Joe, and we've got so much to talk about. I want to do a few things. I want to talk about you growing up a little bit. Of course, it's such an interesting story, and obviously then talk about Morning Joe, and then talk about Know Your Value. We've got a lot to cover, but most, I don't know if everybody knows, uh, I, I, most people who watch Morning Joe know, but your history, your dad, of course, is a big new Brzezinski, the National Security Advisor to Jimmy Carter, uh, and you grew up in and around the White House, and you almost twice brought us to a nuclear world war, once once uh, with Menachem Begin and once with the president of, uh, the chairman of uh, China. Tell those stories of you and the rambunctious Amy Carter. Oh my gosh, mostly me. I mean, I, Amy was really good. I I tended to have like um, disastrous moments um, throughout my childhood, both academically and in my real life. Um, but uh, the the Camp David incident was almost really disastrous because um, we were in a golf cart, and I didn't know how to drive a golf cart or a car. How old were you? How old were you? Uh, must have been what well, was 19 now it got it was 1979 because it was the camp david accords and i'm fi almost 56 so 11 12 okay and i we were driving around and we ran into the peace talks that had my dad in his book writes how he went on walks with these world leaders often they would separate and they would go on walks and kind of tone down a little bit take the temperature down and then get back at the table. My dad um, played chess with Menachem Begin. I have a huge picture uh, of that incredible moment. It's a really funny one as well. But we ran into my father. I believe the president was there and Menachem Begin and lots of other people, you know, handlers and secret service. And I hit the, I hit the, I hit the, I didn't, I hit the gas instead of the brake or whatever it, that the equivalent is for a golf cart <laughs> and and then i figured it out and it stopped like as it tapped his shin but it was really really it was like okay i could have that could have been a real change in the entire process so <laughs> needless to say they uh kept us farther away from 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 the principles and you also br that. almost and brought us to armageddon with china also as a youth. Yes, but that was actually fascinating because, you know, the normalization of relations with, with China, um, a big part of that was Deng Xiaoping coming to the U.S. and it started with a state dinner. Usually a state dinner is held at the White House. And believe it or not, my parents, he wanted to come to my father's home. And so my parents hosted it, which is a thought in itself that is frightening because they were very, very... Eastern European immigrants meet McLean, Virginia, and I will say they didn't use caterers. They didn't, um, people thought, and they, you know, made their own meals for all these events they had, and they were all incredibly wonderful, but it was hard, and and it was always a kind of a, a mad rush to make it happen, and we, you know, 
the kids, my brothers and I would often take coats and put them on a bed upstairs and then bring them back to people. It would be chaotic. Um, and I would pass out caviar and I tripped and fell and, and I spilt it on Deng Xiaoping's pants. <laughs> Cyrus Vance was sitting right next to him. And there's this notorious relationship between my father and Cyrus Vance, which is often uh, kind of overblown, but he was really, and I always, uh, I always say, I think I might've caused the problems. Um, <laughs> and then I was like trying to wipe it off. And, and then that was wrong. It was just ridiculous actually. Um, but you know, that night my mom and dad had so many problems getting the night to a start. We didn't open the flue to the fireplace. The house got smoked out the secret circus were running around and there was another night with another dignitary where my mom opened the champagne and hit my dad in the eye and he had a black eye. <laughs> it all in a day's work um, in, uh, you know, Brzezinski home uh, trying to have a an event um, with no, absolutely no support at all. <laughs> Along those lines, another story that I just love just doing a little background for this interview is your mom, who you lost recently, who I know had such a profound effect on you. I had the chance to meet her. What a spectacular lady. She was an artist. But she, the story about hosting a dinner party and she served deer and then she informed everybody, yeah. oh, actually, that was roadkill. I just, it was, we, I got it by the side of the road and I brought it in. That I would love to have been yeah. at that dinner party. Yeah. Pamela Harriman was at that dinner party. She was like the socialite of Washington. The fundraiser, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah literally spit it out because my mom everyone asked who her caterer was and she's like i'm i didn't use caterers i actually got this on the side of the road <laughs> um but for her just being um a refugee um fleeing her country during world war ii um being put in an orphanage for a year almost starving and um depression era thinking she didn't throw food away and you know i'm gonna be very serious but this the deer on the side of the road had just been hit and she considered that to be a waste. And, you know, to the day she died, she never ever saw anything wrong with that and never would. Um, and by the way, these are her sculptures on the monitor behind me. I have them all over this place. Um, I got to, I got to see one of her shows and she, she's spectacular. Just incredible. And I, a lot of her work now, there's a lot of interest in it. I'm right now in talks about a permanent installation of, of this piece, which is massive. Like a human being is this big compared right. to these pieces. Right. You can see how big that's lament. Um, we're, we're potentially going to have a permanent installation that we're going to be covering um, widely when it happens. Um, there's another museum that wants to create a pavilion in her name. You know, she worked with a chainsaw and an ax <laughs> and a chisel. It's amazing. She's no joke, no joke. Her, her website, um, ebbtrees.com, is featuring a lot of her work. I'm really working on it so that people can experience my mom's career from the beginning during her resin stage, which is just incredible, and then all the way from clay to resin to wood. That's to amazing. Trucks, That's to amazing. Trucks. That's amazing. I want to just shift gears first. That, uh, as I said, I, I hope everybody gets goes a chance to go to that site. I want to shift gears a little bit to early in your career. Um, you're at CBS. You 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 actually were down at Ground Zero, um, and you get fired. And how what a profound effect that had going forward on you. And obviously, we're going to talk a lot about know your value, but how somehow you thought you were 39, and it was all over for you. That was it. And obviously, the irony you've had your great spectacular success since then. You know, know your value 
a lot of Know Your Value was inspired because of those extremely real, deep emotions that were stirred up in me in the aftermath of being fired. Being fired, I can now say, I know what it feels. It feels like a divorce. It feels like a death. Yeah. And I've experienced all three of these things. Um, and at CBS, they had just hired Katie Couric. I can only imagine that they were trying to unload the weekend anchor because now the weekday anchor, but who knows? You know, sure. maybe I just terrible. I don't yeah. know. I don't think I was. Um, and I, I, I have to tell you that I, um, I don't like the way I handled it. And I don't like how profoundly I was impacted. And I really have unpacked all that um, and brought it to the table during um, and the times that I speak to women through the Know Your Value platform. Because the way we present ourselves shows our value. And if you know your value, then getting fired doesn't upset you as profoundly because you know your value and you know you will bring it elsewhere and you'll do better. Yeah. That's a confidence that women don't carry because they don't know their value. And the reason why it impacted me so profoundly is because I didn't know my value. I really didn't. I hadn't negotiated one good contract in my entire career at the age of 39. And I'd been an anchor many times over at different networks, many in cable, in local, in networks. And every single time I got a raw deal created and brought to you by me. Um, so in the years after being fired, I went through a journey of trying to sort of figure out why that bothered me so much beyond the fact that I was scared that I wouldn't be able to bring in an income. And, you know, I, I remember I, I was looking for jobs in any career in the year after I got fired. And um, I guess I'm supposed to use the word let go or let out of a and sort of they, they, you know, in TV, often they give you these contracts where your window opens up and they yeah. exercise in the window to not re-up me. Yeah. So I, I think that word fired is apparently I'm not supposed to use it, but that's what it felt like to me. So that's what, okay? that's <laughs> what it is, by the way. That's what it is. I mean, it yeah, is what it is. Down on my butt, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and it was pretty, it was rough. It was like this, we are not going to, uh, have you back and yeah. they wanted me to sit there for a few months and I tried and I just couldn't I mean I just it was heartbreaking I, I loved all the people there I loved working there I loved telling stories I'd worked all my life to for the job that I had um, but the way I handled it was was disturbing as well because obviously I'm worried about making an income obviously I'm I'm worried about you know a, a path to the future for my kids. And I kind of didn't know how to be at home. <laughs> um, but even more so, I know myself as someone who loves to work. And I literally thought it was over. And that was such improper thinking on my part. Like, and the reason was I didn't know my value. I literally thought- How much, of it, how much of it was where you were in your age curve versus just I, I, even I got fired younger because I mean, uh, of course, obviously so much of what you do now has to do with women of a certain age, understanding their values. So yes. did that play into it in a big way? It, it played into it in a huge way. Having said that, 
I would have been just as upset and at a loss if it happened 10 years earlier, five years earlier. Sure. But I think it was like, I actually wrote in my first book, All Things at Once, the one about my mom, um, that I always looked at TV as a ticking clock where you had an age limit and at age 39 or 40, it was over. And this was like days before my 39th birthday or on my 39th birthday when this happened. And I remember going, oh my gosh, right on time. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I had a, I had an unreasonable and maybe um, a little bit old fashioned, now that we're looking at how women are doing after the age of 50, 60, 70, 80, and 90, which we'll talk about. But I had a very kind of old school view of TV news and you had to be young, sure. you had to be fresh be new and a lot of um a lot of people in the business had led me to believe that you know that's and i'm and yeah i'm not just men men and women yes they look as sort of just you know a ratings game and young younger gets more ratings which i've never seen really actually pan out no i, I need to see that data because i don't see young inexperienced people like killing it in the ratings do you no no that's it's a fallacy So how did you, so you take that moment and take us to you ending up Morning Joe, the birth of Morning Joe and how that, because obviously most of the people listening here obviously are, are Morning Joe viewers. And I don't know if they know how the sausage originally, how you came together with Willie and Joe, how that happened. I, I know the backstory, but please share it. So it's so interesting. So I, um, I, I was looking for jobs and I was of course, I believed I could never get a job in television again, and that attitude led to a lot of really bad interviews. You were looking, thinking about going into PR. I mean, you were like ready to like throw in the towel, yeah. And when I went to TV, if I did get an interview, like uh, I went to Fox News, I had an interview at Fox News. Wow. And I literally walked in there with fire written across my forehead. And that's, again, a lot of my know your value advice is like how to handle being fired and moving on to the next interview. And I... I literally had trouble in the moment in these interviews because I, I think I believed that I didn't have value or something, and that's why you need to know it. But I ended up almost taking a job in at a PR company. They were about to bring me in for the final round of interviews where you just met with two people separately, as mm -hmm. opposed to you know a whole, a whole like dating game where you went around the building and met yeah. everybody. Yeah, and I felt like the interview was going to be an offer. It felt like the closest it could come. And it was a job that made really good money. And I remember being in my pickup truck um, and I had an old pickup truck with plastic seats and I it broke, it kind of like kept, kept like conking out and I'd have to restart it. And I remember I got this um, email while the car had broken down and I was reading it, do you want to come in? And I picked up the phone and I called the guy and I said, listen, this job's not for me, but I do know somebody who is just leaving CBS who would be perfect for it. And she ended up getting the job and thriving there. She was my producer and she was also fired in or whatever the word is in, in a whole round of layoffs or whatever it was that was happening at the time. So that's when in my heart I knew I, I'm going to have to figure out how to get back into television, even in this state, because 
it's what I do. And I can't, I can't even let myself take another yeah. job. Yeah. So I remember firing my agent, calling up MSNBC because I had worked there before and being like, listen, I want to know what jobs you have, any jobs. Because they were like, we don't have a job. You've been high up at CBS. We don't have a job you would want. I said, I know you've told me that. Now I need to know what jobs you have. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's a great lesson. Sometimes you got to take a half a step backward to take three steps forward. People or need to understand that. a huge step back. Yeah. yeah. So they were like, well, we had a freelance reading cut-ins on the overnights. And I was like, oh, that is that now that's painful because I'm not good on, a, I, yeah. I did that. It really hurt. And they said, well, some of the shifts end at 11 PM. I was like, I'll take it. I'll take it. And so I went in, I went in, I got, I literally, you can, when you're freelance day rate, you can start like the next day. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember driving to Secaucus and going, doing the paperwork and the job was honestly, you know, a big, a big step in a different direction from what I had been, but it was in television. It was communicating, it was telling stories and it allowed me a step back in. And I remember Donnie getting my MSNBC card and taking the picture at Mika Brzezinski MSNBC and it has a little thing that you, you click in, it goes beep. And I remember the first time I did that, I almost cried. I was like, oh, I am working again in the industry that I love and I'm working again. And I, I did the cut-ins beautifully. I kept getting asked to do more cut-ins. I started getting asked to host shows. And all of a sudden, I was freelance hosting shows for a several hundred dollar day rate. <laughs> I was a full-on host. I love it. Love it. <laughs> I'm like, another raw deal, but at least I'm working. Um, and, then, and then that whole thing, I don't know if you remember this whole Don Imus situation. Yeah, just, he got thrown off the air for saying something very, very derogatory towards young African-American women. And then they were trying a bunch of different things in the morning. They tried a bunch of different stuff in the morning. Don Imus was like, it was the biggest ratings yeah. at the time. Off off, off brand, but still they were, they were getting big numbers. It's it, what it, they had back then. Yeah. It was a long time ago. As yeah. we know, we're at almost 16 years. Yeah. So, um, and they, so they're trying different things. And they were absolutely not thinking of me. And of course, I was absolutely not thinking of myself. So I was doing my cut-ins and I was perfectly, I was I was okay. And I was hosting and doing stuff for nightly news. And I, I figured out something would come out of it. And um, then I guess Joe was doing a show. Actually, it's so funny. At 9 p.m. Joe did a show. At 9 p.m. Scarborough so, Country, right. Yes. He did a show. And so I would do a cut-in and toss to you know, here's the news at the White House, blah, 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 big storm front coming up the East Coast. That's the latest. Now back to hardball. Or that's the news. Sure. Now back to Scarborough Country. Right. And I remember never seeing Scarborough Country because I'd rip off my IFB, the earpiece, and go back and work at my desk and talk to my producer. And I never really watched these shows in the evening. So <laughs> I remember Joe, because I guess I would have fun with my toss because uh -huh. they'd be like 10 five, four, and I would push it to the very edge and be like, now back to hardball. Right. Or now back to, and they'd be like, two, one, Scarborough country. And I'd kind of say it like, and just have fun with the timing because right. I was really, <laughs> I knew I knew how to time out yeah. perfectly. Um, and Joe came up, I guess, to make a pitch for Morning Joe. Yeah. He had created the whole show in his head. Yeah. I mean, we need to talk about the brilliance of Morning Joe okay. and what he did. Yeah. Because, and really the, the space Phil Grigham, Phil 
Griffin gave him to do it because it's really amazing. Yeah, the world he's created and it's all in his head. He had a PowerPoint presentation. He went into Phil's office and he was like, I've got, I need three smart people. I've already picked them. And I met Joe in the hall of MSNBC. And he comes up to me, he goes, you're Mika Brzezinski. And I was like, and you are? He's like, come on. I know you're making fun of my show. My friends already told me you're making fun of my show, Scarborough Country. And I was like, I wouldn't make fun of a show I've never watched. <laughs> and he was like, damn. And, and so he goes and calls Phil. He's like, that, the woman who does the cut-ins, she's really smart because he, 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 But what he also saw that you guys immediately had this banter. It just had like it, nobody scripted it. No, and, and in your chance meeting, what would they call in Hollywood of me cute? Even then, you yeah. had this weird kind of little controversy back and forth, a little energy, a little tension. And he knew that because at, at his core, he's a producer. Uh, I mean, he's obviously he's obviously a brilliant talent. You know, he's a producer, a director, a lighting designer, a set designer. Literally, it, it you know. We don't, I mean, first of all, we have the most amazing team now that takes care sure. of everything. And so I'm not to take a, but he really, he had a vision for what we're doing today then. Yes. And by the way, so did I five minutes after we started doing Morning Joe together because he, he he convinced me to to come in for the audition. And I was like, oh God, mornings again. I'm now I'm doing nights back to mornings. Honestly, I can't get a leg up in this business. It's, it's like, that's fine. I, I love it. I'll do it. Um, and so, but I, I do, I am like the queen of the worst schedules ever, right, Donnie. Right. I for overnights for 35 years, but I'm, I, I'm so absolutely grateful. Every morning I wake up, I think of the day I was fired and yeah. I get right up. I love joy. it. I love it. Um, but you know, he went to Phil. Phil said, no, okay. All right. Just try it. And so we had a week where we did the show together and five minutes into um, the show, I looked around and I said, this is really good. Yeah. He's really good. Chris Licht is really smart. Yeah. Willie's fantastic. And when we had a moment, I said, this is going to be, this show is going to be so important. It is important. So is going to, you are going to create yourself as the voice of the political landscape. And then I turned to Willie. You can ask Willie. I said, Willie, you are so talented. You're going to have your own show someday on the network, but this is going to be you do. where we see Willie in every aspect oh, he's, of it. He's such a superstar. Why you get that show. And I literally predicted both of their futures, but not mine. <laughs> because that was, that, was a, that was the essence of not knowing your value. Yes. Um, so when did you know, you, you knew after five minutes, I love the story of when you guys, after your first taping, uh, Tom Brokaw calls up Phil Griffin and goes, Joe Scarborough, who knew? <laughs> and that's when you knew, because he he obviously is a very opinionated, you know, I, yeah. we'll, we'll leave it at that. But for him to acknowledge that, that was an early precursor. Zucker also came down and was like, and I can't even say what he said, but everyone was popping into Phil's office going, how did you know how to do this? Yeah. Like, and Phil is so great. He's like, you know, you let people be who they are. And yeah. he did. Yeah. He really did. Um, I mean, he was skeptical about me at first, but in a way that you would be skeptical if your host is like, I want that person. You know, you, yeah. have, you kind of don't want to give the talent that, like, you want to, but 
Joe was able to choose all of us. Because it wasn't like all great creative things are not done by committee. They're done by a vision of usually one or two people who have it and he had it and he saw it through and it continues to grow. I'm blown away of the impact of that show. Look, I'm on the show once a week for an hour or two, uh, wherever I go. This is the show of consequence of people who, people who just are thinkers in our society watch this show. I don't want to say C-suite. I don't want to say it's just, if you have a brain and you're watching TV in the morning, I don't want to offend anybody or anything else. This is where you go. And it really matters. I know as something, because I'm not on all the time, so I'm a viewer. And it's an important part of my day, not because I'm part of the show. And people really feel that way. It is, and people need their morning. It's, it, it's, it's, I can't think of another show on television that holds the importance it has with its audience that this show has. Well, we take it really seriously. And by the way, Donnie, you're like part of the Morning Joe family. Thank and you. There, day, I mean, from the beginning. I was there since um, two, two, 2000, and I think I came on the second year. I think it was 2010. So were we in 30 Rock yet? Yeah, you were in 30 Rock. You were already in 30, I think. Yeah, must have been just starting at 30 Rock. So, gosh, I mean, we sometimes are blown away by people that we will meet. Joe was recently in Ireland and he has viewers in Ireland at airports, the conversations we have with people, um, people who view the entire show every day, which is now four hours because they're sick or they're, they're doing cancer treatment. And honestly, that's the other reason I get up in the morning and Joe gets up, even though he has tinnitus, he yeah. has a bad back. I mean, it's a lot of pain in his life and he tries really hard not to let it get in the way of being on Morning Joe because we recognize, um, I mean, I personally, I say with respect for for Joe, the, the platform he has created, yeah. but we recognize the impact we have and we want to be really careful with it. And we're not perfect. It definitely has been tough over the past five years, the way it's changed. You know, it came together as a show where you could have a great honest debate in a in a sea of incivility you know where you could have a civil conversation a civil debate yeah and that's been harder to do and there are people who unfortunately we can't have on because they're not willing to have a civil honest conversation and we've had to add that to the description of our show because right now there are shows that are not so honest and i didn't know that we had to actually make that a, a selling point but it is yeah we're we we talk about the facts and we can't have people on who, who we, where we have to debate what a fact is no and that's hard i have to say on a personal level and i've had a lot of chapters in my career like being part of morning joe has become a big part of my brand and it it there's a tremendous prestige sitting at that table and i'd say there may be 10 or 12 regular you know what i'll call the posse and there's obviously other people but i mean you would you would you, you guys, we, we could make the list of people and it, it is, uh, it's very rarefied air and it's, it's, I, I love being a part of it. It's, it's become very, very important to me. Okay. One last question about Joe. And then I want to talk about know your value and you and Joe are tremendous partners. What was there a moment when you realized maybe this is not, maybe there's something special between this guy that goes beyond what we do on television. Was there a moment and you guys have been, you're very private. I know I'm not, it's the only question I want to ask you, but I'd love just, just from a human interest point of view, was there a moment you remember, maybe I have a different kind of feeling for this guy. Yeah, there, there definitely was. And, um, to be 
to be really to be really blunt, um, I didn't. I put myself in denial for many years. Yeah, I just could not. I, I so there was a moment. I don't. It's not a moment I want to talk about. Okay. Um. But but and but I I absolutely validate that there was a moment that I kind of went oh boy and um but I I denied it like in I I was in absolute denial for a very very long yeah. time yeah and that has to do with a lot of things it has to do with like my core values sure um what I what kind of like what I envision for my life what do I envision for my children yeah um and these were all things that I that like crisscrossed everywhere and so that causes denial um because I just I this is not I did not see this coming yeah and um so yes and i denied it for a long time that's part that's, I, I wonder if that's a part of it. you know you're right that's a transition to where did you get started with this because it's so you just had this amazing conference in abu dhabi uh, i mean hillary clinton with the list is long i was privileged to be part of one of your first ones in philadelphia uh you had me there because i'm somebody that was always a champion of women in business and you and i i've written chapters and books about it, the women are superior in business but where was the tipping point where did this idea come obviously your own personal story which you've shared at this point but where you said maybe i can do something not a kind of a big scale here yeah you were the very first one in philadelphia there was one in hartford that i did on my own that i went rogue on my network yeah but the funny thing about you is that so there are some who would say, Johnny Deutsch, wait a minute. Why would you have him at your Know Your Value <laughs> event? Deutsch, he's blah, blah, blah. Uh, and if you know Johnny, Johnny has had everybody evolves in their life and has had lots of different chapters in their life. Donnie is a huge champion of women and um, often points out that they are the best hires <laughs> for a million different reasons and also validates that they don't get paid enough and validates that they work harder. Yes. So, and he tries to make that, make make sure he makes good on that. Um, and I remember thinking I had you at the first event and I had people coming up going, why would you have Donnie at your event? <laughs> I'm like, you've got to read about his whole life. And just like, you know, everybody. And you, you go to my Philadelphia, oh my God, Donnie, I could have like, it was, it was hilarious, but Oh my God. So somebody asks a question like, um, why are men better at negotiating than women? And people give answers. And then you get up and you go, it's like dating. And I'm like, oh my God. Men, <laughs> and you're like, Hi, all of you, everyone, do you want to go to lunch? Woman goes, no. <laughs> and, and then you go, do you want to go to lunch? And the woman's like, no. And then you do like five more women. And then the last woman goes, sure. I'm going to lunch with you. And he's like, we don't care. We move on. We get no and we move on. We don't take it personally. We we respect the no and we respect that that's their opinion. And, but we also don't like sit own there it. and- We don't own it. We don't, it doesn't become us. Yeah. yeah. Remember I went around with fired. I mean, it's because I just was like, oh my God, it's me. It, it's something wrong with me. You know, while guys are just much more- um, nimble and kind of able to fall down and get up again, and they don't take it personally. Yeah, and I don't know if that's going to translate well in this podcast, but it actually was a great example. I just thought, Donnie, what are you doing? <laughs> but it, the audience went crazy. They thought it was, and the way you kind of, oh, there's my dog. 
the way you kind of brought it in for a landing got a huge amount of applause because the women in the room were like, yeah, you're kind of right. I mean, I sit here and fester over everything. So what what was the net takeaway from Abu Dhabi? I mean, what like ba- basically take me there. Obviously, I saw some clips on Morning Joe. What happens? What didn't we see there? What's happening with these women as they get together and they share their stories of empowerment? Give, give me give me kind of your exciting net emotional takeaway. Yeah, the 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 you know what I love about the thirty fifty summit with Know Your Value and Forbes. It's a partnership. Is that we take women from the fifty over fifty list, which I created. And the 30 under 30 lists and we bring them to abu dhabi we bring all these incredible women from all around the world we had 500 women from 50 different countries at the second annual 3050 summit in abu dhabi which is every international women's day on or around international women's day which is march 8th and there's networking we connect everyone by app. We link each other up. We have an award ceremony for Lifetime Achievement Award and Torch of Freedom Award and Changemaker Award. And then these women have a conversation. And as you know, our conversation this year, live on Morning Joe, was Billie Jean King, Gloria Steinem, Olena Zelenska, the first lady of Ukraine. Amazing, amazing. And that moderators were me and Hillary Clinton. It was mind-blowing. Yeah. It was remarkable. And to bring these women to Abu Dhabi showed it to be truly the crossroads of the world because these were not women you expected to see in Abu Dhabi. And this is a region where you want to send a message of, of female empowerment. You want to leave it a little bit better than you found it, which is why we have a day of service there. A lot of people ask me why Abu Dhabi I say exactly why sure. Abu Dhabi. Yeah, we want we want this global event to have an impact, even where we are, but also to show different cultures for the beauty that they bring to the table. And we had women of all different cultures there linking up, and the mentorship that happened there, and the connecting that happened there with these two African American women who have an eyeglass company. Who I surprised you were, you were on the on Kelly, Kelly Clarkson Clark. show. Yeah, that was a great moment. That was a great moment. Yeah, and we brought them there. They're getting funding from a major backer. Yeah, and like it's all from going to thirty fifty. All types of women, all walks of life, all shapes and sizes, all cultures came together and left with so many tools or concrete ways of growing their value. That's where know your value is at this point. Um, I'm very excited with the platform and with the partnership with Forbes and the next 3050 is going to be just like mind blowing. I'm going to let you go in a couple of minutes. Your daughters, how are they looking at the world differently than than you did at that age? I mean, how I guess my question is how hopeful should we be? Obviously, they're not going to your conferences, but they're they're young women and they've been raised by you, a very very powerful empowering woman. How do they see the world? So my oldest daughter, Amelia, came to Abu Dhabi with me, which was wonderful because she was also in that at that Philadelphia event that you were at. Oh, wow. So wow. she's been first and my very latest one and hasn't been to one in between. And Carly almost came, but she had a marathon and she's getting her master's and couldn't come but wants to come next year. So I love the fact that sort of as a, as a mom of adult daughters, they're, they're less annoyed with me. I'm, I'm not going to say they're not. <laughs> With me. Um, but what I see, I mean, I would definitely want them to speak for themselves. As a mom, what I see is a tough landscape for all of our young people. I worry about my girls, my my honorary daughter, Emily Garner. Um, 
Joe's daughter, Kat, you know, all my other girls, along with my two babies. Um, it's a tough landscape, Donnie. I mean, yeah. COVID yeah. really punched young people in the gut. And screens and social media and COVID, the pandemic and the internet. The internet? I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, when we were growing up where things were tough, but a little bit easier to figure out. This thing fucked everything up. I'm holding up my smartphone. It's just, it just, it's just, it's just, it is. Ten-year-olds with apps to oh, get. We, we could go on for hours about that. You and I talk about that a lot. Hey, I really appreciate that. I want to just say one thing to the audience because people always ask me, what's Joe and Mika like? And they're really nice people and really loyal people. And I, I, I think that comes across to some degree on TV, but you're both playing roles. And uh, it just, I want the audience to know that what good good human beings both you and joe are and that's probably that's probably something underneath that translates and thank you my darling ah, love you <laughs>